Welcome everybody. It must be Monday here on Tap Out Talk. Let's get in. Alright everybody, welcome. We got a lot to cover today. I've got our cover story, The Crying Wolf, featuring John Cena. We're also going to go over all the AEW grades and free agent signings so far, and we're going to do a little grade card review. We also got some news. Uh, Jim Ross has given the best advice ever that I want to share with you guys, and so much more. So, before we get started, um, you guys know how this works. Like, share, subscribe. It greatly helps out my channel, and I appreciate you guys so much, and I will do the same for you. Also, same thing with Twitter. It's the best way to interact with me. Let's be friends. Let's talk on Twitter. Let's go ahead and jump into our first story. All right, so our feature story is The Crying Wolf. And this is the feature story of episode 18 here on Tap Out Talk. So, it kind of starts out a little bit of news this week with John Cena, the one and the only, right? And it turns out that we have gotten some news reported that John Cena's character is a complete ripoff of a whole other wrestler. So, I want to show this to you guys. I want to see what you think. And this is why I'm calling Crying Wolf. So a former WWE superstar who also spent time with Extreme Championship Wrestling is accusing John Cena of some very serious charges. Former PG-13 tag team member Wolfie D says Cena infringed severely upon his wrestling gimmick when Cena decided to start rapping. Wolfie says the Doctor of Thugonomics was a complete ripoff to what he was doing in his tag team. Um, And I quote, I agree with that. John Cena being the last true great superstar. I just have personal bias to it because that guy right there standing behind you with the shorts and the tennis shoes and all that, I was the first guy to do that gimmick. I think that John Cena is a complete ripoff of PG-13, Wolfie D, whatever you want to say. PG-13, just so you guys know, that's the end of the quote. Uh, They were a popular act in Jerry Lawler's USWA wrestling. They also worked a few matches in ECW. Um, Notably, in like 1997, a hardcore heaven pay-per-view, they challenged the Dudley Boys for the ECW Tag Team Titles. They joined the WWE briefly in 1996, where they served as hype men for the Nation of Domination. Honestly, guys, I don't even remember these guys being there. So I'm going to have to like go back on the network and kind of give it a look here. But anyway, the team was released in June of 97 before they were making their appearances. Um, They appeared on WCW Thunder sporadically in the early 2000s. The duo of Wolfie D and JC Ice, which is formerly known as Jamie Dundee, were 16-time USWA Tag Team Champions. Okay, so these guys did not become Tag Team Champions outside of the USDA or USWA rankings. Um... And they are claiming, and they are crying wolf, as I like to call it, right? So that's the story here. You have an indie guy that, you know, and you guys can see in the photo here on the left, that is Wolfie D, and he's crying wolf, okay? Um, He's complaining. So what he's saying and claiming is that this guy here, John Cena, was stolen his thug life mentality, okay? So one... Just because you wear a chain around your neck and flip your hat backwards, um, I could probably walk 
outside of my city and see lots of guys like that. Maybe not a lot with the chain now, but back in the day, absolutely. Okay, so that means they stole gimmicks. Here's the thing I'm really getting at. Art imitates art. And wrestling is a form of performing arts. Okay, you follow me here? So what that basically means is, yes, you are going to get inspiration as an artist from other people, okay? But who's to say that John took that inspiration from them or they took their inspiration from John? You know, that can be said back and forth. But, you know, it's this old adage that I always kind of like to say, you know, I hear um, friends all the time and they, you know, say, oh, well, I, I, may, I can make a better hamburger than McDonald's on my grill. That's probably true. You probably could make a better hamburger than McDonald's on your grill. The difference is you don't know how to produce a better hamburger. So, you know, to mass produce, have overhead, run a business, okay, and most of the people that say those things, they don't actually, they, they, yeah, they can make a better burger, but they don't know how to actually produce a better burger. That's why you get McDonald's and them that have the cheaper hamburgers that aren't better burgers than what you can make on your grill. And that's why, because they can mass produce it and make it easy where everybody can just grab one without really doing any work. So, um, yeah, this is examples of that, right? Wolfie D wants to cry wolf at John Cena and throw some shade because he feels that maybe he could have done it better. But who knows? Time will tell or people may can debate that, right? That really were the Wolfie D fans of the world. I'm sure there's about eight of them. So the reality is... John Cena took this in the WWE and they made a better produced product. And you can't convince me that John Cena product was not an original of his own as well, right? Just because guys look similar, they sometimes think, oh, well, he took my stuff. And like I said, they always inspire from each other. Bray Wyatt inspired his gimmick heavily from Waylon Mercy, you know, his very early gimmick. And the list goes on, right? So, I mean, you could just name guys, but they're inspired. And that's the difference, you know. You can't, as a kid, grow up and watch these guys and not be inspired and think, wow, how can I do a form of that to honor it? So, anyway, I'm going to get on to the next story. I wanted to give you that. So, tell me what you guys think, though. Crying Wolf or is it legit? Did John Cena steal Wolfie D's gimmick? I'll let you guys decide. Let's move on. All right. Next up, we have a blissful challenge going on here. So, Bliss, um, former women's champion, knows a thing or two about existing online. She also realizes that this is a good to take a break from social media every now and then. You know, I've heard recently about doing like a 10-day social media cleanse, which, you know, you just staying off your phones for 10 days. I'm seriously considering doing it, but I like being here so much for you guys. Bliss was unashamed um, to fire off this tweet. Uh, directed right at those who want to fill her timeline with negativity. So delete and block. Laugh out loud. Negativity out of your positivity. Negativity out, positivity in is what Bliss is saying. She says, hey guys, let's try something real quick. Instead of bashing others and making up things to troll other people with, I know it sounds crazy, but how about we all tell each other something nice? Like have a nice day. Crazy, I know. That's the quote from Alexa Bliss, who um, did have that quote overall. And that's kind of her challenge, I think, to the WWE Universe and to the world. Well, people, you know, we're in the day and age of challenges. Let's see if anybody picks up on it. Let's go to the next story. Speaking of challenges, um, a little bit of a challenge here from our good old buddy, JR, Jim Ross. And on his recent Grilling JR podcast featured 
the WWE Hall of Famer, giving out some advice to those in the WWE who recently just lost their jobs. He wanted to make a very solid point that even though someone might get cut from the WWE, it doesn't mean that their career is over from a long shot. I'm going to read the quote from you from Jim Ross himself. The quote is, that's what I would look at. Take this time to better yourself, get bigger, stronger, faster, clear your head, be with your family. I'm going to read that last part again. Be with your family. But I can tell you this. Getting cut from the WWE or AEW or any other company because you get cut doesn't mean it's over for you. Okay? So it's a little bit of a words of the lies from Ross. And I really like this because I this doesn't just apply to wrestling. This applies to the industry, to the world, right? I think at one point we've all been at a point where we you know, have been a little disappointed with maybe how something went. It could be a job, it could be a relationship. And I feel like that's so important for us to be able to say, okay, well, what can I focus on and be healthy about, right? Is it working out? Is it being with my family? Is, you know, taking time to build the best version of yourself and your most authentic self. So I just wanted to throw that in. I really like Ross's vibe here. Um, I hope they listen, Ross goes on. I feel for you, but don't jump down the rabbit hole of I'm going to get away from everything. I need time. If you just need time, take time, but don't get up in the morning thinking about I don't know what I'm going to do. This is horrible. Yes, this is horrible, but get over it. Get over it and move forward, improve yourself, and try to regroup because there's a whole lot of folks doing wrestling right now. If you're ready, willing, and able, and you're a good locker room person, what the hell? Give that a shot. Something else is going to come around. That's the main message I would like to give them. End quote from JR. Um, Odds are the WWE is not finished cutting superstars. You know, that's the world we live in right now. That's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, At this point, it seems like the mass cuts probably are just going to be expected every quarter. These are going to be like part of the company's quarterly business reviews, it seems. And hopefully those people who lose their jobs will continue to go on and realize the great talent they possess as the WWE cut them due to quote-unquote budget cuts. So at the end of the day, uh, you always got to protect your family, okay? Always protect your family. Always protect your friends and yourself. Um, The other thing is, is I like JR's approach here, and I think, you know, they would be very smart to take this advice um, along with many of us. So I really wanted to feature this in today's show here. Let's move on. All right, so speaking of JR talking about people getting released, there was a story that came out also this week, do it or else you're fired, from Vince McMahon to Earl Ebner. Referee Earl Ebner found himself in one of the most unfortunate spots as the plan unfolded. He was to ring the bell signaling a Bret Hart submission as Shawn Michaels applied his signature sharpsuitor. This was known as the Montreal Screwjob, guys. Um, longtime WWE employee Vince McMahon and confidant Gerald Briscoe talked about some, the incident on Bruce Pritchard's Something to Wrestle With podcast. He said the ref was given no choice but to betray his friend Brett. Okay, and, and here's another quote. As the match was getting ready to go out there to the ring, Earl was getting ready to go get in the ring. I grabbed Earl by the arm. I took him just a few steps to the grill position where Bruce was sitting and Davy Boy and Owen, so I could talk to him right in front of them, because they were, basically they would have alerted Brett somehow that Briscoe was talking to the referee and be aware of something. 
So I took Earl back up to a little corner, and Earl did not want to do it. Earl was not going to do it. I just started laying it out in black and white to him, and I said, Earl, you have a mortgage on your house, right? If Brett takes this title down there to WCW, like I said, we're not in the great shape financially. We, um, we be in the WWF at the time. Um, is, is he going to pay your mortgage? Is he going to pay your electric bill? Is he going to feed your family when he takes off and he's down there making billions of dollars? What's going to happen to you if you refuse to do this and I have to replace you? I went to Tim White and asked Timmy to stand by and told Timmy we might have to do a ref bump, so um, I might need you to stand by. That's how I covered it with Timmy to be on standby so the referee and the match just in case something happens. Timmy, of course, being a company man, said, yeah, I'll be glad to. He said, I hope nothing happens. I said, well, <clears throat> I do too, but I might need you to do it as a standby. So um, it's a little interesting, right? So we get a little bit of a story here about, you know, the position that Earl Ebner was put in. And, yeah, he was put in quite a position here on this night, you know, of the Montreal screw job. And I mean, you know, again, here's a guy, you know, that worked for the company for a very, very long tenure, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, hey, you either do this or you're done. And um, they got kind of coerced into the situation. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of the theme here that we see, not just currently, but even, you know, for the long term and just kind of like how things operated there. So I wanted to share that with you guys again. I mean, you know, share your experiences if you want, uh, if you've ever had some situations like that. All right, next story is the Malago Round. So, WWE has a staff of incredibly talented and gifted minds to produce their matches, according to the report. They are also open to new members to the team, but it takes certain knowledge of the business to get ready. Molly Holly started with the WWE as a producer in June, and things are working out pretty well for her. So... Molly Holly co-produced the women's segment and the five-way match on Raw this last week, and then alongside um, T.J. Wilson. She also worked alongside T.J. Wilson to produce Sasha Banks' promo on the six-woman tag match on SmackDown this last week. So uh, Ringside News was told, as uh, a report from them, by a tenured source who is very close to the situation that Molly Holly is getting great reviews as a producer. Uh, this is a great sign for the WWE Hall of Famer. And we'll have to see if Molly Holly's responsibilities backstage grow from this point. But she is certainly being utilized backstage in a very positive feedback. So, you know, good for Molly. I like to see the veterans getting involved. She's always been kind of that ringside veteran in the ringside area. So, um, you know, she knows what it takes to be in the ring. And I like to see that when they get to produce those matches. So, congrats on Molly. Next stories. All right, so we are going to get a little bit into some AEW Rampage news that's going on. So um, AEW Rampage is the company's weekly Friday night show, and the ratings haven't been the greatest. Despite the dwindling viewership, AEW is not looking to change anything up on Rampage yet. While speaking to the media scrum following AEW Full Gear, which was an amazing pay-per-view over the weekend, I highly recommend you guys check out or at least check out my review. Tony Khan discussed Rampage's dominance in their time slot as they often are one of the top shows on Friday nights. And I quote, The numbers that we do are still one of the top shows. I think sometimes people think that the number that 
you do for Dynamite should be the exact number you do for Rampage, but it's really an apples to oranges comparison. Continuing the quote from Khan, it's frequently the number one show in its time slot, and it's beating everything we faced head to head. It's a very good point. Uh, very often, it's been one of the top shows, if not the number one show for a number of times, even out of that time slot on Friday night TV. Frequently, um, it's in the top four or five, so that we do, you know, in that slot, it's very impressive. Um, and then he goes on and kind of talks about they're really happy with the show. The fans, they see if it doesn't do as big a number as Dynamite, to them, it's not as good. The fact that this is the time slot it's in, it usually performs really well, but, or excuse me, and they're really happy with it. So I'm thrilled with it, and it's a great franchise for us. If things were to ever change and be in the different slot, I would be the best that I could be in that slot too. Whatever brand stands in there, that's where it is. Um, if the averages were higher and we were told we had to do higher averages, we would do that. So, and he kind of goes on, but um, Tony really just, we'll have to see if Rampage stays here forever. It is a taped show right now. Um, that's the big knock that everybody has on it, all right? I'm not going to bore you down with all these details, but it is the knock that everybody has. You know, I like Rampage. I think it's a nice little one-hour break, right? Um, that was the show CM Punk debuted on, too, so that was getting a lot of ratings. So AEW knows when to tweak up the Rampage, you know, um, show. And Tony Khan, you know, he's very proud of the work. At the end of the day, Tony Khan has to keep the wrestlers, the fans, and the network's happy. He has that three-legged table that he really has to balance. And so I think Khan has done a really great job in the beginning of all of this for only being in business for a few years. So we're going to finish up with a little more AEW news next. So the FTR thoughts is our next story. So recently, the FTR, Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler, have expressed their sentiments regarding AEW signing former WWE contracts, kind of like what we talked in the beginning. They, and here's the quote from them. They got to understand AEW cannot just hire independent wrestlers because if they only hire independent wrestlers for a television product, it's almost like the blind leading the blind. You have to have people who are experienced in television wrestling because it's a completely different beast from just professional wrestling. So the company gets better by signing these people. And I hate it when people call them XWW this or XWW that because, yeah, um, we've worked there. We've all worked there at some point, but that doesn't make us their property or anything. It's like we didn't learn these things sometime before that also. So uh, it's a very good point, you know, by FTR that they make. Um, it's a lot of times it's very easy to say, oh, he's an ex-WW guy. And the reason we do that as fans, I feel, is because, you know, we're used to them. They do a different style. They do a sports entertainment style at the WWE. That's just how it is, right? Now, don't get me wrong. They got their process down, right? They know how to do TV production. They know how to walk down the ramp, stare at all the camera points at the right time, do all the different moves, right? You, you pose a certain way to make yourself look bigger for the cameras and the audience, right? They will teach you all that there. They're a very fine-tuned machine. AEW is still a newer, younger company. So while we hire guys that are coming out of the gym and the indies and the gymnasiums um, and schools, we do need some of those guys to come in and also help groom the next group. And that is where AEW has a huge advantage over the WWE because NXT is not working out so hot anymore. And now we have the AEW younger guys that we like that are getting this coaching that they need 
to, and we're not trying to recreate sports entertainment in AEW. We're trying to create wrestling, right, with an entertainment value. But we're, it's still pro wrestling. And, you know, Tony Khan and them, I know they won't, they'll fight and they'll never get rid of that wrestling aspect. You know, they won't go straight to, they'll go to entertaining wrestling before they'll go to sports entertainment. So what I would like to do in my next segment is I would like to go through some of these recent WWE signings, or excuse me, AEW signings, um, in the last year or so, just to see kind of where we fit with this. And I just want to give, you know, let's do a little AEW signings and review session. So, first up is Malachi Black. So, Malachi Black, he has talent, he has name value, and being in his mid-30s, you know, should be in the prime of his career right about now. Plus, he has friends in the AEW locker room, and that made the transition very easy. And people in uh, powerful positions have sung his praises publicly before. So this was an easy fix for Malachi Black to come to AEW. So what I see is um, they did really well with him. It was nice that his contract was an NXT-based contract, so he was able to come up very quickly. And they forgot to renew his clause. And he was there within a month. He's doing the House of Black thing. He is um, really doing Malachi Black the way he was. I felt like he did benefit from the NXT development system a little bit in WWE. And now he's taking that and he's still in his prime. And that's the key. He's still in his prime and he can wrestle and he has a little bit of knowledge. But not too much knowledge to where he's permanently scarred with how to do it. So that was a perfect signing for AEW and I was proud that they brought him in. Um, I want to go to my next AEW signing I'd like to review. And that is the human suplex machine, Taz. So Taz's AEW career began slowly and steadily. First by doing guest spot of commentary on an episodes of Dark and then showing up to call the action on the 2019 Full Gear pre-show. So he was drafted in as a replacement for Tony Schiavone on the January 1st, 2020 episode of Dynamite. And two weeks later, he signed a full-time contract with the company. So Taz has been really all over the place with his experience. We know he has got a lot of experience as a commentator, and that's a tough job. You know, you have to tell the story. If the wrestlers don't tell the story in the ring, you got to tell the story, right? And so you have to make it and sell it. And there's a couple times that I heard the announcers doing that really well, a full gear over the weekend, where I was like, okay, they're, they're doing a the job. They're really trying to sell it, really on the women's match. So... Taz not only is helping out in commentary, he's been helping out develop the young wrestlers. And he's got Team Taz, and he serves as a manager too. So, you know, again, I'm going to give them a high grade for signing Taz into these roles because they let him use his expertise in a couple different areas. So, congratulations, AEW, right now. You guys are two for two in my book. Next, we have. <clears throat> All right, so I want to talk about this one here. This is the Brain Busters, right? So they got, um, when they signed Tolly Blanchard and Arn Anderson, okay, they joined the company early on, but there was influence has been huge behind the scenes as well as they are both on-screen managers, okay? Um, Arn Anderson's been more of a behind-the-scenes guy. He shows up with Cody now and then, right? But I think he's been more of a back-screen mentor, and then um, Tully Blanchard's really been doing a lot of work as a manager and helping out some of these younger guys as they came in. Examples that um, I want to include in this are Sean Spears. Okay, you might know him as Ty Dillinger, the perfect 10 from WWE days. Very, you know, decent wrestler, but very underdeveloped, right? So one of the things 
that I enjoyed was seeing Tully being paired with him to kind of one, that's what you do to give them a little bit of a pop and just help tighten up some of the things that he needs to tighten up. He still has a little work to do, but I think the kid's willing to do it. And then the other thing is pairing Tully with the FTR who started this whole conversation today. So, you know, and I feel like Tully has done a really good job. The FTR was already a good tag team. So Tully serves them in a manager type role, but not necessarily for development but more like fine-tuning in the fact that now these guys that are already this 80s-style tag team, and you got one of the greater 80s-style tag teams, you know, managers now, and so you pair them together, and that's kind of what we're looking at. So um, definitely I would say Tully Blanchard has been the stronger signing out of him and Aaron Anderson. Uh, we don't know exactly what all Iron does, you know, behind the scenes. And, of course, um, Sean Spears I'm not all the way sold on, but I am sold on FTR, and um, I've been a fan of theirs for a very long time. Next major signing was Jim Ross, okay? And while good old JR, you know, you see him on the front, right? You see him on the beginning, and he was an elite signing. Um, one, he gives you TV brand recognition, right? Um, so he gives you locker room recognition as well. So when Ross was with the WWE, he worked there off and on for better about the past 26 years. And not just as the lead announcer on Raw and SmackDown and pay-per-views, but also backstage, he was the executive vice president of talent relations and other various roles. A week after his WWE deal ended, AEW announced the acquisition of Ross on a three-year deal that's set to expire this spring, which would see him not only provide commentary, but would also as act as an executive advisor behind the scenes. Okay, So now you got Jim Ross helping out the team as far as you know uh, announcing and you have him helping out the team backstage in a role that he did for a much bigger company so this was a great signing and i didn't even get into the fact that when people are flipping their channels and they see wrestling on and they hear jr's voice and they see a guy like chris jericho those are two recognizable figures in this whole mainstream of you know trying to get people to stop on that channel and say well wait a minute is this wwf and then it gets them into the AEW product, and they hear Jim Ross. So that was just a smart signing all around. Let's go to our next. We have Christian Cage, the instant classic, right? So with Christian, this was an interesting one. Um, the assumption was that Christian was back and would be building towards a major WWE match, likely at the forthcoming WrestleMania. However, it soon became clear that his Royal Rumble appearance was co completely a one-off with Edge in a spot and that he wasn't under WWE contract. He then showed up at AEW Revolution as a Hall of Fame worthy, talented hype up by Paul White as a signed contract for the organization. So Paul White came out, the big show, AKA, and he came out and he said, oh, I got a Hall of Fame worthy candidate I'm signing to the company and I'm helping bring in. And we all speculated who it was. And it ended up being Christian Cage. Now, uh, Christian has been helping I've noticed this at Full Gear a lot. Christian has been helping Jungle Boy in his development. I see that a heck of a lot. He had a nice little program in the beginning, uh, especially recently with Kenny Omega. And he actually helped bridge the gap with Impact Wrestling in that partnership. And he actually held their title again and won that title off of Omega and then went over to Bound for Glory's pay-per-view and lost the title to their champion now. Um, so it's kind of... Nice to see Christian is just that all-around mediator, and you know he's got he's very diplomatic, right? 
but I can tell he's doing some work with Jungle Boy, and I can tell he's like working on the little things with them in the ring. So it's nice. AEW is getting these veterans in there that are there to help, and they also can still wrestle at a decent level, which uh, Christian definitely is. So let's go to the next one. All right, next up we have Mark Henry. I was a little weirded out about this sign. I'm not going to lie. Um, I like Mark, but uh, the world's strongest man was an in-ring performer for the company for WWE for over 20 years. He had a career that saw many ups and downs, but ultimately secured him a place in the WWE Hall of Fame. Now he's seeking a challenge and looking to give back to the business he loves. The 50-year-old Texan was um, has made it known that he wants to step back in the ring at least one more time. Uh, WWF really wasn't having it, so he is now all elite, right? They brought him in over the summer. Um, we haven't really seen much of the impact of Mark Henry. I've watched lots of interviews with Mark Henry, especially on the Stone Cold podcast. That'll be another release coming up here in the next week or so. But um, I've noticed with Henry, he definitely has a heart for the business. He's been in it since 1996, okay? And he had to learn the hard way. He came in as Olympic wrestler, had to push his way through. And it was a rough road, right? But, I mean, he learned how to evolve his character. He learned how to work as a big man, uh, which is, you know, tough enough to do in its own. So that's kind of what he wants to give back to some of these younger guys. So will he be a major impact? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I do think he will get his one match, right? But I think, you know, this is going to be a hard one to gauge behind the scenes. And I want to know what guys he's working with. I mean, is it a Brian Cage? Is it a Wardlow? Like, I need to know what kind of guys he's working with so I can gauge his progress. Our next one, oh, this is one of the most impactful signings that we've had here, guys, in all of AEW. Chris Jericho, okay, he was the first ever AEW champion. More importantly, he's helped a lot of younger talent um, get immersed in the business and get better. You remember that whole uh, MJF joining the inner circle bit? And they allowed it for that while. All that was was Jericho saying, let me take this kid under my wing and let me help make him and make him just stronger. He was already strong, but I want to turn him into a main eventer. You guys might remember he was very good at doing that in the WWE with Kevin Owens when he onboarded Owens as the friendship uh, festival of friendship and all that stuff. But, you know, as he acts, not just like the top star, because he was the top star also in this company, but giving a veteran who's willing to put over the next generation. So um, I remember when Jericho formed the Inner Circle, right? And he did this first po uh, promo announcing the Inner Circle's name, and he put over Guevara and Hager and uh, Santana and Ortiz. I mean, he put them all over in one promo, and they were instantly taken to the next level because of Jericho, right? So that's you can't buy that star power. Speaking of star power... Um, that is that thing I was mentioning earlier when people are randomly changing the channel and they see Chris Jericho. He is a recognizable face, not just in the world of pro wrestling, but also the world of rock and roll with this band Fozzie. So Jericho, um, I tell people all the time, Jericho is what Hulk Hogan should have been in WCW, right? As that seasoned veteran to help the next blood kind of jump up. So I always say, you know, Jericho's um, definitely is appreciated. And definitely a huge part of the AEW success. And Vince McMahon has even said he wished he would have never let him gotten away because AEW wouldn't have even happened. And I agree with Vince on that 100%. All right, another major signing that we got was um, the icon Sting. Right, He became all elite. So Sting was an interesting one because <clears throat> he, went to the, he pushed off the WWE for so many years, right? 
pushed it off, pushed it off, didn't want to do it. And then he finally said, okay, I'm going to do it, and it didn't go so well. He didn't even get a win in the WWE, which is a shame. Sting now came in, and right now his act with Darby Allen is one of the most popular in the company and the perfect use of an icon mentoring a young and up-and-comer, right? You see the pattern here with AEW. They're using iconic names to build younger stars and work with them, right? Um, I will say, you know, this is on a more minimal level, and Sting is definitely using his street cred to get Darby over, but Darby's at the point right now, after seeing that match with him and MJF, Darby's over on his own. If you notice, Sting's not coming out as much with him. He's kind of just dropping him off at the ramp, giving him a fist bump, and saying, go get him, kid. So um, I think that's going to be one of the major you know, things that I could see a Darby Allen-Sting feud for an ultimate payoff down the line where Darby Allen doesn't need Sting anymore. Next major signing that happened you know, this year that stuck out to me was Paul White. When he and WWE were unable to come to terms on money, he spoke to Tony Khan and decided to put pen to paper with AEW. So along with his announcing duties, because he's not there in a major wrestling capacity, he's there for announcing, right? And it's funny because I never thought of show as the announcer, but then I remembered show's pretty funny, or Paul White is a funny guy, right? And so he's been doing a lot of the announcing duties on some of the darks and the other you know events on a minimal role. I also feel like he is there to wrestle part-time, which we have seen, right? He had QT Marshall to pay-per-view it all out recently. Um, so he's there to kind of help fill a little bit of spot once in a while, get in the ring. But the other thing is I think Show is there to train big men to be big men. So I think he's kind of an all-rounder, um, even though he's getting into the commentary side of it. I think he's also working behind the scenes and wearing a couple different hats. So, um, yeah, I would say it's an okay signing for now. I just don't. You know, they're going to do the big match with Shaq eventually. I reported on that. That's coming. It's just when are we going to put pen to paper on that, right? So I want to go on to my next, and this is a big signing, one of their best ones, CM Punk, okay? This guy's been away from wrestling for over seven years, and you would have thought at one point he was never wrestling again, right? So CM Punk, despite being intentionally the worst-kept secret in the world, CM Punk showing up unannounced at AEW Rampage was such a huge moment in professional wrestling. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, them coming up on that Friday in his debut killed the buzz for SummerSlam for that weekend, okay? And the WWE got really scared, and they went out, and they looked like they just begged Brock Lesnar to come back in, and Becky Lynch, but especially Lesnar. He looked like he jumped on a plane and just got off a plane and, you know, has still had his jeans on, not shaving, anything. So, Punk is, um, you know, definitely the huge signing and, you know, very much needed. And um, when the Straight Edge Superstar came out with the Cult of Personality theme song, it was a moment that over seven years in the making, and Punk looked like a completely different and much healthier to the one who lost in the 2014 Royal Rumble match when he came out and spoke to his hometown crowd. Um, as well known, he had grown resentful towards the business, uh, mostly due to some unhappiness in his final months in WWE, and they had a lot of issues back and forth. Again, uh, I will be having a future uh, podcast on that coming up on Phil Brooks, but it's uh, amazing that AEW was able to finally convince him to come out of retirement in his exile, right? Um, I heard a big factor of being how they handled Brody Lee and his tragic illness last year was very heartwarming to Punk, and that actually helped bring him and say, okay, I think I would go work for this company because I kind of like them, right? And so 
I also think there was another factor there. Um, Punk's getting to do things his way, and he's getting there to work, and he's working with a lot of young guys. He's worked with Darby Allen so far in a really good match, and then just over the weekend he had a really good match with Eddie Kingston in a street fight. So I think you know he's got a list, and he's going to hit any guys on this list that he wants to do along the way. And I think we're going to – I want to see a big money payoff match with Daniel Bryan, which brings me to my next guy, Daniel Bryan, now known as the American Dragon once again, Bryan Danielson, right? Um, here's the, what you get with Brian Danielson. He's a legit indie wrestler that loves wrestling. He has been on the WWE big stage of WrestleMania 30, and he's been a multiple-time champion, contender, and champion. And he knows how to do the entertainment side as the best of them. But Daniel has a heart for professional wrestling, which ultimately drove him to AEW, despite his father-in-law being a major factor in the other company. So Daniel also, I think, with CM Punk coming over, did affect Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson here in this case. And I feel like I've said this for years. I want a Brian Danielson versus CM Punk Iron Man match. 60 minutes, pinfalls, submissions. And I think an Iron Man match is hard to book. And there really hasn't been an amazing, amazing one since Sean and Brett, of course, right? But I feel like these two could put on the AEW version of an Iron Man match between Sean and Brett. And it doesn't just have to be a straight-up wrestling match. I mean, they could make it happen, right? Um, I feel like it could go anywhere on the floors kind of thing. But these two could put on a hell of a performance. And I really like to see what they can, what kind of magic they can you know, show us here at the big dance. It may be at one of the future pay-per-views. So um, the good news is, is Brian has been wrestling every week every show since he came back and he's smiling and he's loving what he's doing now because he's not held back by some health scare or this or that and his wife has fully supported him in this right so guys that's everything i have right now i wanted to really get into i wanted to do the free agent signings i wanted to talk about that a little bit and just recap and review that because we've come a long way in these free agent signings and their purpose in the world right also i wanted to get into a little bit of you know that whole John Cena being accused of stealing a gimmick story, right? Crying Wolf. That's what I call him by Wolfie D, the Crying Wolf. So that's everything I have for you guys. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for watching. Like, share, subscribe. Let's talk on Twitter. It's not goodbye. It's game over. But you can't stay.